Hi, everyone. This is John Girardi from California Family Council. Uh, we wanted to release for you an old podcast that we recorded a couple months ago with a pro-life pharmacist from Grand Rapids, Michigan, named Mike Kelzer. And in this podcast, Mike will describe for us his decision, how he came to decide that he did not want to stock abortifacient contraception, uh, contraceptive medications in his family pharmacy in Grand Rapids. Um, we're doing this in light of a recent decision, or I should say a non-decision by the Supreme Court uh, regarding a law in Washington state that required all pharmacies to stock abortifacient uh, contraceptive medication. It didn't give them any latitude whether to or not to stock it. Uh, the state of Washington was sued by an individual pharmacist who had a moral objection to providing such medication, and uh, it uh, got appealed up all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court refused to take the case. Uh, you only need four of the nine justices to agree to take a case uh, in order for them to hear it, and apparently they could not get four votes. I'm guessing Roberts, Alito, and Clarence Thomas wanted to hear the case, and the other five did not. Um, Sam Alito was so disturbed by this that he wrote an opinion on the decision not to take the case, which is something very rarely seen, and uh, I'll try to provide a link to that in the podcast description. Um but uh, in light of that Supreme Court decision and the attacks that I think are going to be coming against pharmacies, I'm guessing in California soon at some point, um, we thought it would be a good idea to release this podcast about uh, so you could hear Mike's story and uh, the factors that went into that. So sit back, relax, and here is our Life, Family, Liberty podcast with John Girardi, Jonathan Keller, and pro-life pharmacist from Michigan, Mike Kelzer. Hi, this is Jonathan Keller from California Family Council. And this is John Girardi from California Family Council. We are with you today with a, another special guest here from Fresno. We heard a great presentation from, is it Dr. Mike Kelzer? Uh, Mike Kelzer. Mike Kelzer. Mike Kelzer. And I am a, a registered pharmacist. I'm not a doctor of pharmacy. Yeah, so it's Mike Kelzer. I'm a pharmacist. So Mike is from the great state of Michigan, which uh, I don't know how many Ohio fans we have listening to the podcast, but uh, I'm sure that they will not hold that against him. You have, you have one disgruntled Notre Dame fan over here who hates <laughs> Michigan and all its pumps and all its works and all its empty promises. No, just and kidding. <laughs> I'm a Michigander, but I'm a Boilermaker, so we do not vote for the Wolverines in our house either. So, so that's good to know. We've got, uh, if any college football fans out there, we'll, we'll try to keep the college football talk to a minimum. We wanted to share with you today, Mike and his son Lance uh, came into Fresno all the way from Michigan. They had kind of a tale of woe of getting here, which I'll, I'll just let him briefly tell you. Uh, we appreciate his commitment and his integrity willing to come, but tell us about your, uh, your adventure getting here. Well, we were supposed to <clears throat> leave Grand Rapids. We were supposed to do a, a morning yesterday in Visalia. Do I have that right? Yeah. In Visalia. But all that night before, I'm all mixed up on days now, but all that night before, w Grand Rapids flight from Grand Rapids to Denver got canceled. And so we tried and tried and tried, and we had to cancel the, the talk yesterday morning. Last night, we got a flight out of Grand Rapids, different airline, went to Dallas, and we hop off the plane, and it says our flight to Fresno is canceled. So we pick up a car and drive three hours in the night to uh, Fresno. So here we are. And what time did you actually get local time, California time? Did you get in? California time. We got into Fresno at 
2.45, Grand Rapids time, it was 5.45 in the morning. So my wife gets up at 5.30, so I was able to wish her a happy morning before she got on the treadmill, and I told her good night, and I got my two and a half hours of sleep, and here we are. Well, we really appreciate you coming out and being here. Mike spoke to an audience of uh, almost 100 people today here at the uh, one of the breakfast clubs here, Catholic Professional Business Club, who brings in some great speakers from time to time. And the reason Mike's here as a pharmacist all the way from Michigan is because he has a very unique story of uh, just standing up for conscience and religious liberty within his private business. Uh, some of you, if you followed the work that we've done and some of the posts we've done, you may be familiar with the, the case of Hobby Lobby and the fact that they went all the way to the Supreme Court uh, last year or several years ago, 2014, to stand up for the rights of conscience for them as a, as a privately held business to live in accordance with their faith, to live in accordance with what their sincerely held religious beliefs were. And Hobby Lobby is not an explicitly religious organization. Similarly, the pharmacy there in uh, Grand Rapids is not an explicitly religious pharmacy. But uh, Mike had a really interesting story of why, why he made a specific decision and how his faith influenced him to do that. Ours is a family business. My my grandpa started it. My dad was there. No other siblings are in it, but it is it is our third generation of the pharmacy. I graduated from pharmacy school, came to work for my with my dad for about five years, and I got a call one day that said, "Hey, we think you know." From my cousin said, "Birth control pills can cause abortions," and I didn't. I knew she was wrong. I knew I would have seen that. I would have studied it, but I went over, looked at some literature in the birth control boxes. And it was there in black and white in the mechanism of action, which I look at that for every drug I, I, I dispense. And it said it has the, the possibility of having the, the uh, endometrium slough off and, and not make it implantable for a, a newly formed life. And so I, I knew right there after five years working there that I had my hand in, in abortions. So talked to my dad, who was kind of a co-owner at the time, and my dad, my dad, I put an outline together, and my dad basically said, "You know, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna change this. I'll think about it, but, but no." My dad then writes to me, like, gives me an envelope and writes out like twenty-five points with like three or four bullet points. He had like seventy-five reasons why he disagreed, and that was really hard for me because he was the guy that I went to for my mentorship. I mean, I, I went to him for everything, and now I've got the biggest decision in my life, and my dad and I are at total odds on this. How, how did that wind up getting resolved, though? And, and can you tell us sort of about how you sort of struggled with it and what, what the ultimate decision was that you came to? Yeah, so unfortunately, the ultimate decision at that point was unfortunately no decision because I just didn't feel like my purpose or God, whatever, brought me to through pharmacy school just to throw it away that moment and walk out. But I also knew that I couldn't stick around forever in that spot. So every, every morning I'd pray, I'd say, I got to do what you want me to do, but you got to let me know what it is you want me to do. But years went on, three or four years went on. Finally, I, I just, it was really impressive upon me. I think, I think it came down to, if I'm, gonna, if I'm Catholic, I got I to gotta follow the tenets. And one of the tenets that I needed to follow was I can't use evil to bring about good. If I looked at it on paper, there was so much good I was going to do. I was going to take over the store and, and be a, you know, on the school board and lead this and you know, run for this office and blah, blah, blah. And, but I said, no, that's, that's, that's in the future. Right now, there's evil happening. And so finally went to my dad this is like five years after it, after I made that decision. And I, it was no, I didn't have my, my future planned out. It wasn't like, all right, we should do this and this and this dad with this huge outline. It was just like, dad, I got to stop. 
I got to stop doing it. So that was um, he he didn't he didn't love the choice, but he was close to retirement and said, you know, do what you have to do. And I, I support you as a son. This is in 2002. We made the move, sent out letters to the customers and to our team, gave everybody a couple of months to adjust mentally or physically if they needed to. And um, we, we, we pulled the plug and pulled the, all the contraceptives off out of our store. You know, never, never looked back. Obviously, this is something that it's been really at the forefront, as we mentioned before, John, the idea of contraceptives uh, being not just in this case being mandated to be sold, but in some cases with Hobby Lobby and other groups, Little Sisters of the Poor, they're now being mandated to purchase them. So can you talk, John, just for people who maybe aren't as familiar briefly about the HHS mandate and what that is and why it's such a big deal? Yeah, so the HHS mandate was essentially, as part of Obamacare, one of the executive orders that the Department of Health and Human Services put in was a requirement that employers, and without distinguishing religious employers or nonprofit employers or even private employers who have religious objections, required employers to provide coverage for their employees and their insurance plans for contraceptives, uh, including abortifacient contraceptives. This mandate from the Department of Health and Human Services has been fought both by private, not explicitly religious, uh, for-profit businesses like Hobby Lobby, who took the case all the way to the Supreme Court and won, and also by nonprofits, including entities like uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor, which is an order of Catholic nuns, the real target clientele for people manufacturing uh, contraceptives and, and abortifacient contraceptives. But they're being forced to buy contraception, which is utterly ridiculous. So it's good to see pharmacists who are willing to stand up against that. Uh, my question for Mike is, did you? what kind of backlash did you face as a result of your decision in terms of either lawsuits or governmental scrutiny or backlash from customers? What, if any, backlash did you actually experience? Well, frankly, I had a, I had a very specific goal. After five years of, of thinking about my dad and how do I get through that hurdle, my dad was my goal, my decision was my goal, and to not carry these in my store was my goal. I really didn't care how that came across, not in a bad way or in a good way. I didn't need to approach it as, here's why I'm doing it, explain myself, trying to defend myself, but also trying to gain attention and, and balance it out. I That wasn't my goal. My goal is like, I'm going to stop this as quickly, as smoothly, and as under the radar as I can. I thought, as time goes on, if, 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 if it's going to come out, it comes out. I didn't mind it, but I'll let, I'll let the natural flow of this information come. My goal at that time was just to stop. I think it was a good process because... There's not many of us pharmacists in the country that have done this, not many pharmacies, a half dozen probably that I have known them over the years. Some of the guys have done it the way I wouldn't have done it. They sent out letters and explained it all and got into the church and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, "Eh." you know, for me, it was like, I'll do that later. Let me get past this hurdle right now to, to, to just to just get that attention off, let's get it under, and then, and then let's keep going. So the, the people that have made this the same decision I have, they, they talk about in their, if I'm reading their blog or something, how they got hundreds of hate letters and stuff like that. And it's like, no, I got, 
I got three or four from the people that I did this with, and some were, you know, interesting or some, some were quite nasty, <laughs> but um, that's okay. And I got some letters of support. So in 2002, when I did it, really no backlash. Later in 2008, when I was on the ABC Evening News and this and that, then it kind of started to come out. There has been in Michigan occasionally a politician will bring up the issue of trying to mandate a pharmacy to carry all of this medicine. About five years ago, I called up a Democrat, pro-life Democrat from our area and had breakfast with him. And he said, you know, don't worry about this. It's not going to win. These, these ladies have constituents that want this in front of the, the state every so often, but we've seen it before. It's not going to happen. Um, but in some states, it has happened. In, in Illinois, they've, they have mandated pharmacies to carry a certain product. And that's the thing that's amazing for me to see is, is like you said, how fast the, you know, moral revolution or whatever you want to call it has, has shifted. From 2002, when this was relatively speaking a non-controversial decision, I mean, not, not without, you know, some consternation and some difficulty, even like you said, talking through it with your own father. But now the fact that in America, where we're supposed to have free exercise of religion, the fact that the government is mandating not only that private employers purchase some sort of coverage, but private businesses now stock drugs that they find morally objectionable. It's, it's, it's really kind of outrageous. The, the pro-choice people are different, different uh, groups of, of those that want their choices. They want every choice under the sun, yet I've got a business that and I pay the lights, I pay for the carpet to be cleaned, I pay the employees, I, at the end if there's something left, I take it home. I want one little choice, not even to sell something. I want a choice to not sell something, and they want to take that choice away. I'll, I'll say a Donald Trump line. I'm a huge, uh, uh, <laughs> a huge uh, businessman in terms of saying there is no limit on the amount of pharmacy licenses that will be given out by the state. Now, I'm not saying I would change my mind if they said a pharmacy could only be put out every 100 miles. I'm not saying I would necessarily carry stuff. It'd be, a different, it'd be some different arguing and thinking I'd have to do. But a pharmacy can go up anywhere it wants to. The people that are arguing against me, I'm like, all right, hey, look it, no one's stopping you. You go to pharmacy school, you put your life on the line, you take a chance of bankrupting your family, you do that, open up a pharmacy, and if you want to do that, no one's stopping you. But if I'm in a pharmacy and I, if I just want to sell bare aspirin, if I want to have a hundred sizes of bare aspirin and make that the only product I carry in my pharmacy, that's how I want to do it. Now the free market will take care of itself. I'm not going to be around for a week. Then my store, I'll be gone. You can come in and put your pharmacy in there with your better ideas. But let, let, let the free market take its course. Yeah, so, so it really goes to both an issue, I think, of religious liberty and also economic liberty. Yeah, and, and sort of related to that, Mike, I, I wanted to ask, because people tend to paint, and we see this a lot of times with the gay marriage issue, that you'll see uh, a baker who's put out of business because he's being sued under a state's sexual orientation and gender identity non-discrimination laws because he refused to bake a cake for a gay wedding. And, and the idea that this little mom and pop bakery is this powerful entity of oppression <laughs> against this poor gay couple who can just go to another bakery like two miles away. Mm -hmm. So I, I wanted to ask, I mean, for your customers who are getting contraception from you, uh, is it actually that much of a 
burden on them that you, just this one pharmacy in Grand Rapids, Michigan, are not carrying contraception? Well, John, the, the quick answer, but I want to go a little bit deeper on this, a quick answer to your question is that in in our city, I've got probably 60 pharmacies in a five-mile radius. Wow. So th- there's no problem. There's no problem there. Um, and we don't sing the praises of mail-order pharmacy, of course, but, you know, wherever the post office goes, people are going to get their medicine. One thing back on the earlier point about, you know, why I kept it under the radar and, and the ruckus and things, another thing I decided, too, was I clearly made this a business decision based on purpose on a product. You know, the cake people have their own battles. Um, I, they're, they're confusing. They're hot topics. Employee pharmacists have their battles. But I got enough of my own, you know, owning my pharmacy, so I'm going to stick with mine. But what I did was, because there are, there are 5% of the people on birth control that don't use it for birth control. They're, 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 they're not having sexual relations, and they, there's never a chance of it being um, an abortifacient. I took the route of saying, I'm not carrying this product. Just like I decide not to sell beach balls or guns um, or postage stamps or I don't sell chairs, whatever. It's just a, it's, it's a business decision that I've made. So fortunately, I'm not making that distinction, or I was, I'm not putting that position of a distinction between who my customer is. For me, it's just, I don't carry that product. You know, it's so interesting. I, I, you mentioned guns, and until you just said that, I never actually thought of the fact that how, how much of an uproar would there be if any state, I mean, I don't care if it's, you know, Oklahoma or Alabama or Texas, you know, the most conservative state out there, if they passed a law that mandated that stores had to sell firearms because, hey, <laughs> it, it's a constitutional right, you know, uh, people have a Second Amendment constitutional right to buy guns. And, and who are you to say that you can't sell them guns? And in fairness, that's actually in the Constitution, unlike a right to abort your child or a right, right to contraception or something. That's, but, but it's interesting you, you put it like that because, again, you're, you're not asking for some special right. You're not asking for a carve-out. It, it really is, unfortunately, the, the current presidential administration we have and not just the administration but the left, like you said, the quote-unquote pro-choice movement that really has not just become about choice. Like you said, they've become about access, quote-unquote. I would get people writing me years ago, and, and, and they would say things like, you have to, at least you should have a sign up that says, we do not carry this, because God forbid we have to verbally tell them that, and they have to walk two feet into the store instead of seeing a sign. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm going to, I'll bleep myself. I'm like, bleep, you guys have a sign up in your pharmacy that says we carry drugs that can that one of the side effects is killing little babies. I'm the one that's we don't take the Hippocratic oath in, in pharmacy necessarily, but I'm the one that's looking after the health and and well being. And if you take it to a, a medical standpoint, again, this was a business standpoint based on morals, which we make a lot of those choices. But it's like blank you, you put a sign up, you put a sign up that says you're damaging this. Mm. I don't need a sign. You need a sign. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. The fact the fact is that the impetus really should be on the people whose position is endangering human life. And it's amazing to think, again, like you said, from 14 years ago, from 2002 to now, that we've gone not just from kind of passively allowing it to now groups mandating that this coverage happen. So in California, I know we faced a lot of these types of issues. I, I don't think there's a mandate right now that you have to 
that all pharmacists have to stock abortifacient medications. There is, however, I mean, many of you know, uh, in 2014, the Department of Managed Healthcare here in California passed a rule that said every single healthcare plan in the state of California must cover abortifacient contraceptives, and they must cover surgical abortions, elective abortions. And that includes churches. So we saw a few weeks ago, John and I were chatting with some folks from Alliance Defending Freedom. They're defending a case from Skyline Church down in San Diego where they are suing because this church now is being forced to use their tithe money to pay for surgical abortion coverage. In in pharmacy, a lot of pharmacies do not carry products for different reasons. We don't carry a lot of certain cancer medicines because they're too expensive to to get wait for reimbursement for the, the insurance unless you're doing enough volume or you you get that cash flow going. We don't carry a lot of things that need special special handling and special you know um, temperatures and special this and special that. And so there's a ton of stuff pharmacies don't carry. And so it's um, ludicrous that all right okay I'll give it to you. you group can mandate that we have this. All right now where where are the where are the cancer people coming in? And where are the people that need this, this cream for their eczema that we don't compound coming in? It's, they, they've, certainly, they've certainly done their job of turning this into a, a, you know, a one-issue thing, but I've, I never have had someone write me a letter because we stopped carrying alcohol or lottery tickets or whatever, but birth control, it, it's, it's more than birth control. Well, and it, it really is, it, it just goes to show, unfortunately, how this this specific issue has really started to dominate, and people have gone from having a live-and-let-live mentality to a demand mentality. So, uh, Mike, we really appreciate you being here. I know, again, he's going off of about two and a half hours of sleep, and he sounds far more intelligent than either John or I. So <laughs> we're, we're very, very grateful for him and his, uh, his long-suffering son, Lance. Uh, Lance, remind me, how old are you again? So Lance is 12, and he has been a trooper just to sit here and put up with all of our questions of his dad, and uh, I'm sure he probably just wants to go take a nap at this point. So, But, Mike, uh, if people want to find out more about you and your story and, uh, you know, maybe even book you, other parts of the country maybe want to book you to speak, do you have a website or contact info? I've got a you know a few websites out there. Um, my name's too hard to remember to spell, so let's go with this one. This is the easiest. ProLifePharmacy.com. That'll take you to my Facebook page leave me a message, those kind of things. You'll hear more from me than you want to once you connect somehow. So, uh, but that's how you, that's the easiest way, prolifepharmacy.com. All right, great. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming. And uh, Jonathan, why don't you give uh, the folks all of our uh social media for California Family Council, uh, all of our plugs. As always, you can find out more about us by going to uh, facebook.com slash California family. You can also go to Twitter, twitter.com slash CA family. And we appreciate if you would uh, subscribe to our podcast here, publishing it on SoundCloud. It'll be on iTunes as well. Share it with your friends, share it on Facebook and Twitter. But for now, I'm Jonathan Keller. I'm John Girardi. This has been Life, Family, Liberty, a podcast from California Family Council. We'll talk to you next time.